You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, we're grateful for this time again that we have, Lord, to reflect on the greatness of God and who you are and how great indeed your creation is. And today as we look at the universe declaring the glory of the Lord, I pray, God, that you would... um, Lord, just honestly, that you would blow our minds away with just how awesome you are and how wonderful it is to serve a great God. And so we ask that you meet us now in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, I want to just give, for those who might not have been with us last week, just a kind of quick little overview. We won't go into all the details that we talked about last week, but we looked at uh, Psalm 19 and the greatness of God and the glory of God. And then we started looking at how just what the, what it really meant when uh, in Genesis, when we see the creation story, the first two days, and then we skipped and looked at the fourth day, talking about the creation of the heavens and the earth. And, and then in verse 16 of chapter 1, if you remember in Genesis, there's this little phrase that we wanted to focus on, and that's where we're going to go today as well. And then just so you know, the, the lay of the land or the landscape is we're going to look at some more of the and the stars. That's verse 16. Uh, that that uh, In Genesis, when Moses wrote that, uh, and he created and the stars. And you got that little bitty phrase that really has a lot in it. And so that's where we're looking at kind of the glory and the greatness of God in the universe today and what it meant in Genesis when it says that he created the universe and all of the stars and everything in it. And he said that it was good. Uh, so uh, looking at the heavens and the earth and last week, uh, just a couple of things just so that you can, again, kind of keep up with us. We've got a couple of things that are, uh, as we start looking at stars and we start looking at the universe, uh, it's not helpful to really have a yardstick or even a mile uh, because they're so far apart and they're so grand and they're so glorious that we have to start thinking in millions, which if, if you know millions, uh, that's never seen my bank account, but I hear there are six zeros there. Um, and then a billion, you've got a thousand millions. And then a trillion is a thousand billions. And then we're going to go all the way up today to a quadrillion, which is a thousand trillions. And so just kind of take a minute to wrap your brain around that a little bit. A, a quadrillion is going to be a hundred trillion or a thousand trillions. Uh, <clears throat> just so that you kind of get that in perspective of where we're going as far as time and things of that sort. This is helpful to me. A million seconds ago was 12 days ago. My kids like to throw these terms around a lot, though. Uh, our youngest does this all the time. He's like, a million, trillion, billion, quadrillion. You know, he just starts making up numbers. He's like, woo, it's a big number. Um, a million seconds ago is 12 days ago. A billion seconds ago is approximately January 1989. So we're talking big time, moving back quite a bit. That's a thousand millions. Uh, a thousand billions, a trillion seconds ago, was 27 B.C., uh, 27,000 BC, excuse me, uh, approximately. And then quadrillion seconds ago was would be 30,800,000 years ago. Uh, that's a long time, right? That's Now we're in the quadrillion. So that, that kind of gets us in the ballpark. And then if you remember, last week we talked about our very star in our solar system, which is, if you know from Earth, it is the sun. 
And so the sun, this is the sun here, and here we are is the earth. And if you remember, God placed us 93 million miles away from the sun so that we wouldn't burn up, but that we would have enough heat to live. And we know uh, that to date, and Catherine asked a great question last week, if the universe is so large, who are we to say that God didn't create something somewhere else? Well, we don't know that. Uh, the scriptures don't tell us that, but we certainly know that if God does that or he did that, then he certainly knows about it, right? But earth is a pretty special place in that we know right now that is the only uh, planet that has uh, living beings on it. And God placed that earth exactly where he needed to place it so that we would have enough heat and enough cool and it would rotate in the right way so that we could, in fact, have um, life on this earth. And so it's, uh, again, 93 million miles away. It's about 15 million degrees at its very core. And so the sun is a big, giant star that is our very own star. And without it, there would be no life on Earth. So now we come to week two, looking at the universe was spoken into existence. Uh, if you have a, a passage, or if you have your Bible, I didn't put the passage on the, the screen today, but we're going to turn to Psalm chapter 33 today. And just see what God says about the universe. And this is one of many places. Uh, there are various places where he makes reference. Certainly we know, as we read last week in the Genesis story, that, um, that there is uh, the universe was made. Um, but I want to read just parts of Psalm 33, and we'll get down to verse 6, which is going to be our real, that's where our meat is going to focus a little bit in today. So Psalm chapter 33. Shout for, the, for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befeats the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre, make melody to him with the harp and the ten strings, Sing to him a new song, play, play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. So far, it sounds like a worship service, right? What does that have to do with the universe? Let's keep going. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. And then here's verse six. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all of their host. So the psalmist here is looking and saying, and, and we're just right, we've kind of entered into the scene of the psalm uh, of the psalmist of Psalm 33, and he's saying, let's worship the Lord. Let's use all the instruments, all the voices, all the things that we can find to praise the Lord. Why would we praise the Lord? Because the word of the Lord created the heavens. They were made by his word. And by his breath, by the breath of his mouth, all of their host. So the host, again, and that we'll tie that back to Genesis chapter 1, where we said in verse 16, and the stars. So the starry host. And so the psalmist is saying, if I look up and I see all the things that are going on around me, the things that my eyes can see, and at that time, of course, there was no Hubble telescope. There were no things that were showing them the grandeur of uh, just how great the universe was. But they look up and they see the starry host. And David can't help but say, well, let's praise the Lord because of the starry host. Today, we're going to go even deeper. And hopefully last, night, or last time, we just kind of 
we scratched the surface a little bit to help us deepen our worship with the Lord. And so we looked again at the millions and trillions and, and, and quadrillion seconds, and then here is our sun. Um, so I wanted, and I made a reference last week to the golf ball, okay? So I remember to bring my golf ball this week. So if you weren't here last week, I'm going to explain it to you. So we're going to imagine, because it helps us in our mindset, to imagine that Earth is this size. Now, we know, obviously, it's not, right? We've got to use our imaginations here. Let's say Earth is the size of a golf ball. And then we can start to look at the various stars that we're going to see today and kind of imagine them as something that we can visibly see because, again, we're going to get so large that it's going to go, I can't even comprehend how big that is. And so I may, I'm going to use references like if the Earth were the size of a golf ball, the sun uh, would be the size of whatever. And I really don't have one for the sun. So uh, I just know that the sun, we could fit 960,000 earths inside the sun. So think about that for a minute. That's how large the sun is. And that's just one of the stars. So today we're going to get into uh, some of the greater stars. If the earth were, oh, I do have one. Uh, it would be the, the earth, uh, the, the sun would be the size of 15 feet in diameter. So if you can imagine that, 15 feet's not so far. It's probably from this all the way to maybe that table over there. If we were imagining and putting it in perspective, earth were a golf ball, sun were 15 feet, we could fit a bunch of golf. We could fit 960,000 uh, earths could fit inside the sun. Does that help at all with this little illustration, using earth as a golf ball? Okay. So, uh, and that's one of the smaller ones that we're going to see. All right, this is uh, beetle geese. We talked a little bit about beetle geese last time. It's also known as beetle juice. I think it's cooler to say it, beetle juice. Um, beetle juice is one of the stars in our galaxy. It's 427 light years away. So, uh, that's a long way away. Yeah, let's, just, let's just put it that way. It's a long way away, but we've got some images from Hubble that tell us what it looks like. It looks kind of like this. It's a big fiery ball. It's very similar to the sun, actually, with the exception of the fact that it's huge. It's, the diameter is twice the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun. So if we can fit 960,000 Earths in the sun and we orbit the Earth... How many times do we orbit the Earth in a year? You know, one time a year, right? That we orbit the Earth or the orbit the Sun, and then we um, and then you do that twice, and that's the size of Betelgeuse. If the Earth were the size of a golf ball, there we go. There's our Earth. Betelgeuse, to put it in perspective, would be the equivalent of the height of six Empire State Buildings. So I've never seen the Empire State Building in person. I've seen pictures of it. Uh, Maybe a great way to do this, hop on an airplane, take a golf ball with you, go, go stand in front of the uh, Empire State Building and imagine there's six of them up high and say, here we are. Boom, there's Earth. That's the size of Earth compared to Betelgeuse. It would take 262 trillion Earths to fit inside of this one star. So 262 trillion Earths to fit in size. That's filling up the Superdome with golf balls 3,000 times, okay? So we're getting outside of our, our, uh, our, our neighborhood here, and we're getting into some other neighborhoods that are pretty fascinating. So then we move to one that is really fascinating for me, and it is a star called Musifi. 
And so again, we're framing this in when we understand that when God created the heavens and the earth and the stars, these were all part of the creation and he did it with, the, with his mouth. <laughs> he didn't lift a finger, he did it with his words. He spoke them into existence. This is a cool one called Musifi. Uh, he's out here. It doesn't look all that great. I mean, to be honest with you, it's not all that magnificent if you look at it like this. But then you kind of get a little closer up there. He's pretty magnificent. He is a big, giant star here that we're looking at. Let's get a little perspective on Musifi. If Earth were the size of a golf ball and Musifi, which is probably one of the coolest names to say of the stars, um, it would be the width of two Golden Gate bridges end to end. So, I, again, never seen the Golden Gate Bridge. I've never been out there. I've never been to California to look at it. But if, we were, if you imagine a Golden Gate Bridge, you fly out there, you look at the golf ball, you look at the Golden Gate Bridge, and you say, it would be two of them, and here's my golf ball, and there's where we are. And then think about it. We're somewhere on one of these little specks on Earth, right? So we're starting to see the grandeur of God. So if Earth were the golf ball, this, how, this is the size of Musifi. That's roughly 3.4 miles in diameter. So, you know, from, from here to uh, whatever that exit is up the road, uh, 3.4 miles, that's the size that we're looking at in diameter to Musifi. And here's where we get to our quadrillions. It would take 2.7 quadrillion Earths to fit into that star, to fill it up. So if it were a golf ball, we're taking 2.7 quadrillion golf balls and sticking it inside of the size of two Golden Gate Bridges. It's a huge star. And that one, again, is just one of the stars in the galaxy. Uh, it is, uh, it's a big star, but it's not the biggest one. It's not the biggest one we're going to see. It's not the, we're going to get to the biggest one here. Um, and God, again, just to remind you, created this star without lifting a finger. The next one that I love is, uh, most people just call it Canis Majoris. It has that VY in front of it. I'm not sure, maybe that's the person that, that spotted it the first time or whatever it was. I don't know what the VY stands for. Uh, but Canis Majoris is a, uh, an even larger star than Musifi. It begins to really blow our minds. So here's Canis Majoris. And if you look at that circle right there, there's the sun, here's the Earth's orbit around the sun, and then here is this star. And, and this is, again, one of the stars in our universe. Um, it was, it, it, if Earth were the golf ball, again, so let's see, I think I've got some of these. Uh, oh, nope, not yet. If Earth were the golf ball of, uh, and with Canis Majoris, uh, Canis Majoris would be the size of Mount Everest. And the Earth would be this size, right? So any guesses, just out of here, how many, how many Earths do you think will fit inside that one? A whole bunch. That's right. Seven quadrillion Earths will fit inside this one star in our universe. And that's sitting out in a massive expanse of what God created. Seven quadrillion. That's enough, by the way, golf balls, to fill the state of Texas with golf balls 22 inches deep. 
And that's not quite the largest one yet. We got one more. The largest known star in the universe, and I don't have a golf ball comparison for this one because it is so big, and I can't, I can't, we can't quite wrap our brain around it, but it's the largest known star in the universe. Uh, it's called Sagittari, and it is 2 trillion 116,879,680 kilometers in diameter. Um, its radius is over 1,500 times that of our sun. That is the largest one that we know about. Um, and by the way, we know about uh, we know about this one, but we're scientists would tell you, and astronauts would tell you, there could be a bigger one. There could be larger ones. We just haven't quite been able to get Hubble telescope out that far to get a picture of them yet. And so the largest known that we have right now. So I want to, I'm going to show you this very quick little, it's, it's kind of this little passing video that's going to show you uh, looking at Mercury, Mars, Earth, and then you're going to start to see some of these larger stars to help us give us a little bit of perspective. And I'm just praying that it works right because I had to do some chopping to get it to work. So, all right, here we go. There we go. Mars, Venus. There we are. There's Earth. Saturn doesn't have his rings on, but he's there. There's the sun. That's the reason there's no life on Jupiter. Because the uh, sun's really close. Now, Earth is already way out there. You can, we can't see Earth anymore because, you know, we're pretty tiny compared to some of these. Sirius, that's a shout-out to Sirius Radio. But um, <laughs> that's not where the signal comes from, I don't think, though. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Pollux we didn't talk about. Arcturus. This one's a beautiful star called Regal, and it's appropriately named Regal. There's Betelgeuse. That was our very first one that we talked about. So he's pretty small compared to what we're going to see. Antares. And you move out, you get Musifi. That's who we talked about. This is his cousin, I guess. I don't know. W. Musifi. He's a little bit bigger. Then we got Canis Majoris. And unfortunately, at the time of them composing this little thing that I could find, we didn't get to Sagittarius or Sagittari. Um, and so we, we begin to understand now just how big the universes that God created. And so I want you to go back to Psalm chapter 33 for a minute. And I want you to think about this now that you've seen what you've seen. Let's take Canis Majoris, for instance, because we know we can kind of start to grasp that seven quadrillion Earths, that's still a huge number to think about. Uh, but to think about that magnitude... 
And then to put it in perspective of where David is when he says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp and the ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all of their host. By the breath of his mouth, all of their host. When I see things like this, that, that we just saw these big, massive stars, I just stand in amazement of how big God is, of how great the creator of the universe is. And then there's this, I don't know about you, but there's a sinking feeling that begins to happen in me. And it's a good feeling because it, it makes me realize that my sin has a way of puffing me up and bringing God down. And so when I recognize that and I realize just how big God is, that these things that he created don't even compare to his glory, they just are a glimpse of God's glory, then the question has to be asked. We begin to ask and see the magnitude of God's glory. Because of this, now what? And I'm curious, what, what are your thoughts as you kind of see some of this grandeur and magnitude? Now that you've seen this and you've, you've seen these giant stars, you know, these big, massive uh, creations that God has made, what now? What, do, what does it do for you? I, I've always looked at it, I mean, you may have done this in previous classes, but looked at it more on a micro scale as opposed to the macro. Mm -hmm. which is so fascinating because I never think about it like that I mean um, like I use it with three children and my daughter was taking anatomy this past year and just listening to the number of veins in your body it's just and the what she had to learn it's it's so fascinating and and even the specials on TV like on Netflix or the BBC Mm -hmm. you know it have the the animals and the birds are the ones that always get me. You know, like God must have had so much fun yeah. creating those birds of paradise. You know, that, uh-huh. that do those crazy dances. Yeah. And so I've never. Yeah. Like I don't. I haven't thought about it. So you bring up a good point. So we've been talking big scale right now, and I said last week we'll go big to small. Next week we're going to turn our attention. We won't get there today, but but you're good. No, we're going to actually turn our attention to the micro next week. And what does it mean that God created everything and that he also created us? Um, and, and how fascinating that is. But yes, this, thinking about these things helps us understand just how much... It also makes you realize how human you are because, I mean, I can't even fathom then the universe. If that's the size of the biggest star that we found so far and that many, you know, it's that many... Yeah, that's right. What an amazing God. Yes. I just have to think 
you talk about seeing these through the total telescope and how obviously David didn't have that. All I could think about was they didn't have all the light and the buildings and distractions mm-hmm. that we have. So when they looked up, I mean, they yeah. really saw it yeah. in a sense mm-hmm. more than we do. Yeah. I've always wanted to go see the Northern Lights for that reason, just because of the the, the grandeur and beauty of the stars and the lights and the things that, you know, it's God's fireworks, basically. Uh, just kind of, and I'm fascinated, too, by even when we have a thunderstorm. Uh, our youngest is not fascinated by that. He's terrified by those. But but when lightning and thunder starts to happen, you know, you watch, you look at the stars, you, or you look at the skies and start to see just the magnitude of what God's doing. And, uh, yeah. Anybody else? What does it do when you think about these things? How does it change your perspective of God? Or maybe a better question was, bring it really close to home, how does it change our perspective of the way we worship God? For me, it doesn't change the way I worship God, but what I think about is, you know, all this, you know, this great, great, great universe, and we haven't even seen a smidgen of it yet. Um, How then can this almighty God know the desires of my little tiny heart? Mm -hmm. You know, how does he know how I feel? It's good. Let's let, entertain me for a minute. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. It's one of my favorite, all time favorite passages in the scripture. Isaiah's been called up in a vision by God. And, and God's giving Isaiah just a glimpse of what the heavens look like. And, and I'm, I, I always stand when I read this in amazement of just Isaiah's response to seeing just a little bit, just a little bit of what God has to offer. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And so just to pause here, Isaiah is literally looking at the back of God. He's not seeing his, his front. He's not seeing all of God's glory, all of his grandeur. He's looking at the train of his robe. You think about a, uh, you know, a, a woman getting married and, and the train of their robe as they're walking down the aisle is, is trailing behind them. Imagine having the tunnel vision and all you can see is that train. That's all Isaiah gets a glimpse of right here. Just that, and watch what happens. And above him stood seraphim, each had six wings, with two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. We got smoke machines before smoke machines were cool. Smoke has filled the house. And the doorpost and the foundations and the thresholds are shaking when God is speaking. So try to get that in your mind. That His 
power. His, so this voice, the same voice and breath that spoke these things into existence is what Isaiah is getting to experience right now. And it gives us a little glimpse as to it wasn't like my voice. It was a big and powerful, so powerful that the thresholds of the doors began to shake. That's, that's part of the most stable part of the door. And it started to shake. And this is what Isaiah's response was in verse 5. And I said, Woe is me, for I'm lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Oh, that that would be our response. When we see the King, the Lord of hosts, we understand the grandeur and the magnitude of just how powerful He is. Isaiah's response is, I'm not even worthy to be here. God, I'm, I'm a sinner. I don't even, I, I can't even comprehend why you even brought me up here, Lord. But I know in hearing your voice and seeing the train of your robe that I clearly need to confess that I'm a sinner, that I'm unclean, and my lips are unclean, and my eyes have seen one who is the cleanest of all the purest of all, the Lord of hosts. And there's that phrase again. So the seraphim have saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And so the heavens are declaring that as we worship the everything that we can see. So, and I, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I can just imagine that when we get to heaven and we can see it all, that we would go, ah, oh, now I understand. Now worship becomes something even more powerful because I can see and I can comprehend just how great it is. And I think Isaiah is seeing that. I think the seraphim have seen that and they're saying the Lord of hosts, this is the Lord that did it all. We're going to worship him. And Isaiah comes and he says, I'm not even worthy to be here. And then go into that micro level for just a minute. In verse six, then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. So he's flown over and he's taken the tongs of the altar of the Lord, the burning altar of the Lord. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin has been atoned for. So this magnificent God who's shaken the doorpost and the thresholds has seen Isaiah and Isaiah has seen him and Isaiah recognizes his sin and then something miraculous happens. One of the seraphim flies over and grabs a tong and the, an, an altar brick. You know, think about a charcoal brick that's been on fire. And he comes over and he says, this is from the altar of the Lord that is sacrificed for you. And there I'm going to touch your lips and it's going to make you clean. And you're going to be sin atoned for because of what the God of the universe has done. The God who created it all has said to little Isaiah, this little prophet, hey, I've forgiven you. And Isaiah then is so struck by that in verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah, without even thinking, 
He's been so astounded by God without even thinking. He says, here I am, send me. And then God gives him the instructions that he wants for him. That that would be our response, that when we see the magnitude and the grandeur of it all, that we would say, God, I'm not worthy, but you've redeemed me. And so what is it that you've called me to do? How does that change the things that we do on our daily basis in our spiritual life? It cha- I'll tell you one thing it changed for me, and then, and then we'll just kind of dialogue for a few minutes. It changed for me the way I pray. When I saw these stars and the, and the magnitude of God, you know, my prayers oftentimes uh, would be something like, God, I think you should do this. It's kind of like Cameron's sermon today. Lord, I, I really think that this would be better if you would do it my way. Uh, I think this situation, God, you should really work this way and do these things because I think it'll work out the way you want it to, God. And it changed my prayer because I realized if he can do this, then maybe my prayer needs to be very similar to Isaiah. Woe is me. Lord, whatever you want me to do, you got this. You don't need my help. You don't need me telling you what to do. You don't need me correcting you for this thing that's going on. You got it. And so then I can step back and I can look at how great God is. And I can realize that I need to spend more time instead of trying to correct God and fix God and fix the things that I I think I would do better. It changed me to think, how can I spend my time praising God, worshiping God, Standing in awe of God and just saying, Lord, what is it you want? How are you working through this situation? And then the last thing that I would say, and again, we'll dialogue for just a minute, is the question, so how does it change our worship? How does it change our prayers? And then how does it change the way we live out the Great Commission? Because the very God of very God came down to earth. And the one who spoke in existence all these things became flesh. And he spent time and he dwelt among us, as we've said every single week when we come to worship. And he was there with the disciples and with the people. And he left his Holy Spirit for us to guide us and to lead us. And the very last words that he said, and they're really important. He said a lot of really important things, but he said, okay, disciples, here's the thing. I'm leaving and here's what I need you to do. I need you to go into all the earth, everywhere, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then here's this last little section that we can't forget. Teaching them to obey my commandments. I feel like sometimes we get really good at saying, let's go make disciples. And we talk about that a lot. But one of the keys to making disciples is that people would understand the awe of God and that we would teach them what it looks like then to obey the very things that God has given us to do. When Jesus gave the disciples that commission, he wasn't saying, hey guys, if you feel like it, I think you should do this. (laughs) He was saying, no, this is of utmost importance. Go and teach them to obey because that's how, that's how transformation is going to happen. That's part of the disciple-making process, to teach them. So, curious for you. I won't preach to you anymore uh, at this, in this class, but I'm curious. Dialogue for a minute. How does it change the way you worship? How does it change the way you pray? And how might it change the way you think about the Great Commission 
in light of what we've seen this morning? I'd be interested to know how you talk to an astronomer, mm -hmm. scientist, more or less a fact-based yes. training yeah. about the, the convergence of science and God. That's a great question. Great question. So fortunately, there are some scientists out there who are um, who who believe that God was the creator of these things. Um, I actually listened to a great podcast this week uh, on on someone um, Sarah. I can't remember her last name, but anyway, she's an astronomer, and um, and she was talking about the glory of God and the black holes and all the things that they've discovered and just how. The deeper that she studied, and, and this kind of goes to, um, you know, the Lee Strobels of the world who were the atheists who said, there's no way that God can exist, and I'm going to prove it. And so they go and they research and they study and they, they go further and further and further into things, and they realize that the deeper that they go, the further they dig, the more they begin to see that this these things could not have just happened through happenstance. That happened to Einstein, right? uh, well, in the relativity, by the end, he said there has to be some type of um, yep. power that yeah. created all that because it wasn't scientifically yeah. um, possible. possible. Yeah. yeah. Now, Einstein was never, uh, to, to our knowledge, he, he, never, he never confessed faith in Jesus. No. Um, but, yes, there was an acknowledgement of there is something greater than me. Even some of the leading atheists in the world... Um, uh, Lewis became a believer because of what he began to study more and more and more. Um, the the Dawkins of the world, the those guys have even gotten to a point. If you really drill down with them to a place, you get them to a point where they go, even if they believe Big Bang happened, some sort of matter exploded, something happened to make all these things, and you keep digging and you keep digging, you get to a point where they have to go, well, something had to create. Now, they won't acknowledge God. They'll say the something is who knows what because they're doing everything. They, they're working as hard as they can to try to deny the existence of God. But the reality is they get to a point where they go, there's nothing else I can think of. Um, I've seen some interviews. And so how would I dialogue with them? Um, I, I had a great professor in, in philosophy when I was in seminary that... Um, who actually walked with Dr. Einstein regularly? He was at uh, Princeton the same time Einstein. He was the doctor of he was the professor of philosophy when Einstein was the professor of mathematics at Princeton together. And um, he was a young guy. Einstein was an older guy. And he would f he found out Dr. Einstein's walking path every morning, and he would go out and walk with him every morning as this 28 year old kid who just gotten into the teaching world. And he said, I walked with him every day for at least three years. We would walk and we would talk. We'd talk about math. We'd talk about philosophy. We'd talk about God. We'd talk about everything you could imagine. Um, and that professor used to always say something that would astound me. And he would say it the first couple of times, and I would go, I don't know what he means by that. But every class, he would end the class with saying, um, do you ever doubt? Of course, the whole class. Yeah, of course we doubt. Sure. Maybe not God, but we doubt something, right? There's always some sort of something that you're, I don't know about that. Um, that's a common phrase. I don't know about that. And he would say, if you doubt, always doubt your doubts. 
because God will meet you there. Yeah, what? He did, yeah. That's right. And so doubting our doubts, and, and I, I, I heard him say that the first time. I was like, that seems something really philosophical that I don't get and understand. And I, good thing I'm in a philosophy class with you. And he, would say, he said it for 12 weeks straight. If you doubt your doubt, if you, if you doubt, always doubt your doubts, and that's where you'll meet God. And we began to realize, and somebody finally, one of the students just raised his hand and said, can you explain that before you say your famous closing line? Could you just tell us really what you mean by that? And he said, well, I've never thought about having to explain it, but the reality is the more I doubt, I begin to doubt that doubt, and therefore it pushes me further into investigation, into an understanding of God and an understanding of my relationship with God. And those doubts that I began with become less doubt because God reveals himself to me. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think interacting with somebody who is simply science-based, you could say something like, I understand that you doubt that, that God existed in all of this. But can you give me concrete evidence of that doubt that would show me how he could not have been involved? And I don't think they can do it. I, I mean, they'll, they'll give you some things. But ultimately, if you're willing to sit and dialogue with somebody like that, they'll eventually get to a place where they go, I don't know, I'm stuck. I can't, I can't get any further. Yeah. That's right. It doesn't become a, a watch again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got all kinds of crazy philosoph- philosophical things there, right? Well, I think uh, what happens with the magnitude thing is we have these like frequency notions when we're very, very young with the angels and their wings and this mm-hmm. picture that we're kind of praying to that kind of, I guess, blinds us from the bigger magnitude. And Andrew pointed on that um, before he left when he had that sermon about Jesus and idolatry and actually picturing him as a person and praying to him because then he's praying, you're praying to an idol of what you picture him in your head and yeah. praying to him. So I think there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense from a very yeah. age. Yeah. The pictures that are painted with the clouds. Yeah. So, you know what I'm talking about? The and I think those pictures are probably well-intentioned, but, but they often, I would absolutely agree that... We can't quite, I mean, we, we can't. So you start thinking and trying to comprehend just how great this is. And then, you know, how do we put that into a picture? Well, the best I can do, make it really pretty, make it look like grand and glorious. Um, and that's why I think in Isaiah, you know, you, Isaiah gets up there. And I think the woe is me was the very fact that he's like, whoa, this is not at all what I imagined. This is not at all what I thought it was going to be. Um, they're, they're worshiping God because he is so much greater than anything we can imagine. Um, and, and that's my hope in this, is that we start to see the grandeur, and then we start, next week, we'll start to kind of narrow down in some of those scientific things of what, how did God make us up? And how did he do that? What, what were some intricate details that God really formed in us, as the scriptures say, in our mother's womb before we were ever thought of? You know? Um, and so... Uh, well, we need to wrap up, so let me pray for us. Great discussion. P- please feel free, and I'm not going to promise you, I said yeah, last time, 
I'm not a scientist, uh, but I love this stuff. And so you may come with questions and you're welcome to bring questions. And there may be some of them that I just go, I don't know. Um, but, but I can research and maybe try to find out. I have some friends in high places that do know some of these things and willing to reach out and talk to them and see if I can help uh, clarify any of that if you have questions. So let's pray as we close. Father, we're grateful. Grateful for all that you do. We're grateful for your grandeur. And Lord, we're exactly right. It would, we can't quite get the picture. We try to make it pretty. We try to make it glorious. But the reality is it's so much greater than we can imagine. And that we are uh, but a small speck on this planet Earth. And yet, as Catherine mentioned, you care about us. You know us in such detail. And God, that, I pray that today that would help begin to expand our minds to just how great a God we're worshiping, a great a God we're praying to, and just how important that great commission of proclaiming this, the Lord of hosts to all who would um, come to faith is. Lord, use us as images that you have created for your glory and for your glory alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.